Improve It fam. Today's conversation is so impactful. I just finished hitting record, so I'm, I'm recording this intro after this interview, and I have to tell you, just sit back today and listen. Take today for you as an opportunity to learn and learn from one of the most brilliant minds that I've had the pleasure of speaking to on this show. We have Jason Greer, who is so fantastic. He's the author of Bias, Racism, and the Brain, and he's the founder of Greer Consulting, the number one firm that does diversity training for startups, Fortune 500 companies, as well as government agencies. Now, the truth is that most diversity training programs fail, but on the other hand, if they're done right, they can reduce turnover by as much as 40% and increase your employee satisfaction scores by 30%. Now, the best part in all of that, the bottom line is also increased. Jason has been featured on major publications and websites such as the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Yahoo Finance, LA Times, Bloomberg, CBS, NBC, Entrepreneur Magazine, and Inc. Magazine. Thrive Global recognized Jason as the entrepreneur to watch in 2020. And he also works regularly with nonprofits such as the Fathers and Families Support Center and World Vision International. This conversation, I think I've cried maybe one other time on this show. I was moved. He is a fantastic storyteller. His work is so impactful and so crucial to organizations. He talks about this concept of we don't have a race problem. We have a brain problem. We talk about how brains are designed to keep you safe. The difference between your in-group versus your out-group and so much more. Improve it, fam. Sit back and please listen to this show with Jason Greer. Let's get to it. Are you a leader or change maker inside of your business, organization, or corporation? Are you looking for new, innovative ways to drive morale through the roof? Are you looking for fun and exciting icebreakers, team building exercises, and activities that will foster team growth, friendships, loyalty, and completely transform your organization from the inside out? Have you been searching for a fun and unique way to create change instead of this? same old dry, boring leadership books and icebreakers that aren't actually working. Hi, I'm Erin Deal, business improv edutainer, fail fluencer, and professional zombie who is ready to help you improve it. My mission in life is to help you develop teams and leaders through play, improv, and experiential learning. In this podcast, we will deep dive into professional development, team building, effective communication, networking, presentation skills, leadership training, how to think more quickly on your feet, and everything in between. We have helped everyone from Fortune 500 companies to small mom and pop shops transform their business, their leadership, and their people through play. So grab your chicken hat. We are about to have some fun. Welcome to Improve It, the podcast. Oh, Jason, I'm so excited to have you on the Improve It pod. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Erin. This is awesome. 
looking forward to this. Oh, okay. Well, I told you, I, I gave you the warning that there uh, is some improv in this show. And I'm putting my coffee cup down, Jason, because this is this is the fun part. So I want the Improve It fam to get to know you a little bit. We do an activity in one of our workshops, our networking workshop, actually, okay, called Five Facts. All right. So it has a little, it has a little cheer that in the upfront. Right. It goes like this: Five facts, five facts, five facts, five facts, five facts. <laughs> I want you to tell me five facts about Jason that we could not find on your LinkedIn, your bio, anywhere. It, on the internet, tell me five things about Jason. Here we You're go. Right. So I have over 10,000 comic books. What? Um, yeah, it's crazy. So my father has a PhD in educational psychology, and I was the source of his dissertation at age four. He taught me wow. how to read creatively through a comic book, and that I became addicted. So right now, with the Marvel Universe going crazy, this is the best time in the world to be a geek. I love it. It's great. That is insane. 10,000. Okay, that's one. Give me two. Um, second, I'm an avid weightlifter. Um, genetically, I'm a skinny guy, but physically, I'm 6'3", 275 pounds of muscle and Papa John's. So I'm awesome. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, Love that butter sauce. Garlic butter sauce. Cannot be beat. Best. Oh, my God. Okay, number three. I have known my wife, Tiffany, legitimately since she was uh, 17 and I was 21. She was a freshman at Valparaiso University and I was a senior at Valparaiso University. Dated for one month, went apart like things happened, and then came back together and got married in 2016. What? Crazy, right? That is insane. Okay, so many questions. Okay, I, I that's a whole other show I have, I have questions about. Okay, four, four. Um, I was a victim of cross burnings um, by the Knights of Ku Klux Klan at age 17 and forgave them um, publicly at age 38. Oh, my gosh. We're going to talk about that because I saw that fact about you when I was doing my research. And I have so many questions. I have so many questions. OK. And the number five. And I uh, love you. OK, keep going. Keep going. And I am so pigeon toed. It's crazy to, <laughs> to the point where I actually make this part when I'm doing a diversity training, I'm doing a keynote. I will talk about being pigeon toed in the first person looks at my feet. I always point them out <laughs> for a laugh just to have some fun with them. <laughs> that is amazing. And I feel like that. Is, I mean, you can't say pigeon <laughs> without laughing. So that, right, that, exactly. gets, that got me good. All right. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I'm you're such an interesting human being. You've been named the employee whisperer, yes. which I also, I saw this and when I was doing my research. So where does this name come from? I wish that I could tell you that I sit around. So I'm actually doing this podcast from a hotel in Houston. I'm right. on the road close to 200 days out of the year. And I wish that I could tell you in a, in a moment of boredom, I was sitting around trying to come up with nicknames for myself, but it's not true. Um, actually, a former client called me the employee whisperer and I didn't know she called me the employee whisperer behind my back, but she did a referral to me uh, for me to another um, organization, which ended up being a wonderful client. And the guy, when he called, he goes, I'd like to speak to the employee whisperer. And I Stop. promise you, I'm staring at the phone like, who in the blue hell is this? Right. And yeah. he goes, um, I'm just giving you that name because that's the name that people are calling you in the industry. So whatever you do for them, I need you to come in and do for me. So that's the employee whisperer caught on. And it's gone gangbusters. It's been crazy. That is cool. Okay. I love that. I love that you didn't, because like I gave myself this name, Failfluence, our professional Zoom beat. No one gave me that name. I want a cool, that is, 
Amazing. And I'm sure I know after researching you, I can see that you definitely do this. Let me talk to the employee whisperer. That's that's the title of this show. The no, I'm just kidding, but I love it so oh, much. Cool. I the employee, it. yeah. So you have two books. You have an Amazon number one bestseller, People Matter Most, right. in the international best-selling book, Bias, Racism in the Brain. Yes. So okay, I I I don't know for sure, but I I I would love to know more insight into your fourth fact that you gave us. But I also want to know. Was that the defining experience that made you say, I'm going to write this book? Or what was that defining experience? Yeah, great question. So um, probably the defining experience that led to the creation of Bias Racism in the Brain, a book that I co-authored with one of my best friends in the world, a gentleman by the name of Phil Dixon, who's one of the foremost um, neuroscience leadership um, gurus on the planet. Just incredible guy. He sounds like Sean Connery when you talk to him. He's an awesome guy. Oh, right? yeah. Let's let's do a voiceover recording immediately. Okay. Yeah, no problem. That British accent okay. is an awesome guy. Oh, yeah. Um, like so many people, when the George Floyd moment happened, which, you know, if you want to talk about catching lightning in a bottle, that was that moment. Everyone's yes. at home. And, you know, the internet is rife with videos of, you know, various brutality, whether it be police brutality, whether it be, you know, people on people brutality, whatever the case might be, it just so happened that everybody was at home in that moment. And we're tuned into this video that went viral, not just nationally, but internationally. And now this conversation is coming up around racism. And I have to be honest, and I hope I don't, you know, offend any of your listeners, No, but my wife and I were talking about this and we had this, it was this deluge of people who were contacting us who happened to be white, friends, associates, people I haven't spoken to since grade school. I didn't even know they still remembered me. And they were asking the question, does this kind of thing happen? Hmm. And I really had to catch myself because I'm like, what do you mean, does this kind of thing happen? I've been talking to you about this for 20 plus years. Yeah. But nevertheless, um, I started asking a bigger question. What can I do? What can I do to further this conversation? What can I do to effectuate change? What can I do to maybe, you know, I have all these stories. We all have these stories. We're made up of stories. How can I take these stories that I've experienced, these things I've experienced and put it out there mm-hmm. in a way not to demonize, but to really educate people? Contacted Phil and I just said, Phil, look, I have these stories. You have this brain science knowledge. What if we legitimately combine the the stories with the brain science? Because what we found is part of the reason why people have such a difficult time understanding the perspective of other people is because if you don't have a sense of empathy, then I'm really not going to buy into everything that you say. I can understand it theoretically, but I can't understand it emotionally. So I said, what if we take these stories, we actually take people through my experiences as an African-American male in the United States? And we take people through these stories, but we also show them what's going on in their brains. Because what we found is typically the way brains are constructed, we fall into one of two categories. Either when we interact with people, they're either a member of our in-group or our out-group. Our in-group is anybody and everybody who looks like us, thinks like us, talks like us, therefore they're us. And those are the folks that we typically have connections with, right? Yeah. Or totally. on the other side of that, we look at people who are members of our outgroup, and there are people who don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't think like us, therefore they're not us. 
So when you look at the divisions that are going on, not just within this country, but around the world, I typically will say that I don't know that we have a race problem so much as we have a brain problem. Mm. Just don't understand what's mm. going on in their stories. Because yeah. what, what, what is something that people typically say when they get caught up in some type of wrongdoing, whether it's they've said something derogatory about another group of people, the first thing they say is, I'm not racist. And most people will say, well, you are racist based on what you've said. But if you really went into his brain, he or she or they don't think they're racist because they can think of a number of stories internally, right, that um, make them believe that they're as open-minded as the next person. But the reality is we're all walking around with biases that we're just not aware of. Oh, my God. I'm writing down. We don't have a race problem. We have a brain problem because that's exactly it. Jason, I'm so grateful that you wrote this book. Our, and and the the in group and the out group is so interesting and i've i will say this it's i've thought a lot about that in the past two years and it is so true there are no and i have a great friend of mine also very involved in dei and her and i've had really great conversations about there is no more unconscious bias we all have bias right it's and so it's really talking about these things being empathetic to the other human and you collecting and sharing these stories and partnering with Phil, Phil, right? Like the, yes. So to have both the story side, but then the science to back that up is so cool. Thank you for no, doing that you. and giving us this gift. No, it's, this is, I'm so excited to talk more about this. So in my research, again, Jason, I was Googling, I was doing the Google, I was all in everything. So what, what I found was this book was essentially made as you said, to demonstrate the way that our brains play a role in the development of our conscious Absolutely. and our non-conscious biases. So it highlights the way that our minds filter out our worldview through experiences, stories, inherited beliefs, stereotypes. How, if you can explain in you know, the short time that we have together, sure. how does our brain filter this information and then why, and I love this goes back to what you said, if we don't have a race problem, we have a brain problem. Right. Why is it so important to understand the way that our brain filters this information? Why is this so important? Well, I first, let me say, I love your questions. This is, this is awesome. So thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm just, I'm just picking up what you're putting down. That's it. No that worries. That is it. No worries. So let, let me give let me give you a quick example, and then I'm going to uh, really dive into the question that you just that you just asked me. So I'm here in Texas. I'm watching the television. I rarely watch television when I'm in a hotel, and I'm seeing all these political ads, and it's you know these politicians or these you know political candidates. Every advertisement that's out there is about fear, fear of immigrants, fear of black people, fear of whatever, right? And that actually works because the brain is designed to keep us safe. Your brain is consistently telling you a story about the outside world. And nine out of 10 times, that story that your brain is telling you is a complete and absolute lie. But the brain wants to create you safe because, look, we've advanced to the point where you and I are having this conversation. You're in, uh, where are you? I'm in Charleston, South Carolina now, Charleston, but Carolina. 15 years in Chicago. Just 15 years in Chicago, yes, right? Yes. Where the stripes proud, where the yes. stripes proud, right? I'm in Houston. We're sitting here having this conversation. I can see you. Technology has advanced to the point where, you know, 30 years ago, 
this was the stuff of science fiction. Yeah. Now it's everyday reality. Totally. Society has advanced to the point where technology rules us, but the one thing that has not advanced or evolved is our brains. And mm-hmm. our brains are still, our brains still believe that we're living the days of our ancestors, where we're foraging for food and we're hanging out with people who were, you know, our clans. And our clan was designed to keep us safe because these were the people we felt comfortable with. So your brain wants to keep you safe because your brain believes that there's some type of saber-toothed tiger that's out there that's coming to kill you. And saber-toothed tigers don't even exist anymore, right? But the reality is now we're living in a day and age in which we are actively, we're actively integrated with our outgroup. You go to work, you look at people who generally don't look like you, don't talk like you, don't mm-hmm. think like you, therefore they're not you. You go in a major city, you see groups of people from different parts of the country, different parts of the world, different ethnic classes, different, you know, sexual orientation, whatever the case might be. And in your brain, if you are, if your brain is not wired to the point where you're accepting of other people because you have not been around people who don't look like you, your brain is in a constant threat state. So part of the reason why we have so much reactivity in our country is because our brains are in this constant threat state that says, just because I'm black, just because you're white, we shouldn't get along. Mm. Mm. So, oh my God. I so, for real, hey, I've chill bumps and I hate when podcasters say that, but I swear, <laughs> I want you to look very closely and my can screen, see it. he can, I see, can see it. it. Absolutely. I, that makes so much sense. And I'm sorry to interrupt you. Keep going. Oh, but fine. I'm like, oh, yes. You're fine. So it's interesting because theoretically, we all know that we should get along. So do you remember the whole debate about all lives matter versus black lives matter? Yes, I do. Yes, right? I do. What was fascinating to me was, you know, the church that I attend, wonderful people. It just so happens to be that the only real diversity in the church are me and my wife, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's probably 99.9% white. And you have this group of people who, if we have one thing in common, it's that we are Christians. And you have this group of people when the black lives matter versus the all lives matter versus the blue lives matter was being debated. You have these folks who are saying, well, I believe that all lives matter. Well, I'm your only black friend, right? And I'm not even sure that we're friends because you get me confused with the lead singer in the church who's also African-American. I'm 6'3", he's 5'8". So how do you get us confused? But the reality is from a brain perspective, our brains are consistently telling us a story that's just not true. And so when you talk about all lives matter, you talk about blue lives matter, you talk about black lives matter. We're kind of debating semantics. Yeah. Because if I have people in my life who don't look like me and I've heard their stories, I've seen their pain, I've shed tears with them, and I've grown defensive when I've seen them treated like they are less than, then I don't have as hard of a time accepting the fact that Black lives should matter because theoretically they should matter, but the reality is they don't matter as much as what they should, right? Yeah, what I'm coming back to is I'm coming back to the story, but I can't understand your story, Aaron, until I hear your story. Yes. Into your story. So when we talk about the, the basis of the book, the basis of the book was I'm going to reveal who I am. I'm going to reveal what my, you know, what my stories are. I'm going to reveal to you to the fact that I did forgive the Ku Klux Klan for burning those crosses in protests of my family. I'm going to share a story with you about walking to the gym when I was 18 years old. I was on spring break, uh, my freshman year at Valparaiso University. 
used to be Crusaders. Now they're called, I think, the Beacons. So now I'm a proud Beacon, Valparaiso Beacon, right? Yes. I, yeah. I was like, they have a great football. You're like, no, Aaron, they no. don't. Say, go sports. Go sports. Okay, hot, keep going. Hot garbage. Yeah, got <laughs> it. Garbage, got it. Right? But I remember, you know, I'm 18 years old. I'm walking to the gym. I'm listening to Sade on my Walkman because I'm dating myself. This is like, what, 92? Okay, I love that you said Sade, and I love that you said Walkman. Keep going. Two hey, things. Yes, I, I had a Walkman. Okay, I listened to Sade. Okay, let's do you it. You feel me. You can believe Yes, yes. And it, at that point in my life, I'm 18, 19 years old, maybe 18 years old. And I've been called the N-word so many times uh, that I've just grown desensitized to it, right? Yeah. So, you know, my family, we're in Dubuque, Iowa, a town that pretty much told us they didn't want us to be there. Mm. And it was nothing for people to yell, you know, go back to Africa, you know, call me the N-word, call me monkey, all these things, people throwing bananas at you, whatever the case might be. So I'm walking to the gym because I just want to get there. This group of uh, men are driving past me. They're screaming stuff at me. And I look long enough to observe who's there to see if I'm in danger, but I just keep walking. And then they stop. They pull over. These men get out of the car and they're all older men, probably 30, 40, 50 years old. I'm 18 at the time. Um, big guys. They're screaming stuff at me, but I promise you all I'm hearing is Sade's no ordinary love, right? <laughs> you know, cause, cause I'm like, okay, focus on Sade, focus on Sade, <sighs> focus on Sade. And then this man has this bottle. It was this uh, clear, it was a bottle and I could see through it and it looked like it had um, yellow liquid in it. And I'm figuring it's just Gatorade, right? No. Gatorade, liquor, beer, whatever. No, no. And he throws it at me, hits me in dead center of my chest. And I look down, I happen to have a white shirt on and my shirt is just covered in this yellow liquid. And then I realized it's urine. Yeah. That this man had pissed in a bottle and I don't know if he was just driving around. Who does this? I don't yeah. know if he was driving around waiting to see, you know, what, whatever African-American, Asian, Hispanic person that he came across. And I only knew it was urine because it got in my mouth. Oh my and gosh. I would like to tell you that I stood there because I'm a big fan of, you know, eighties action movies. Like yeah. would have, you know, done whatever, probably turned over the car. Sylvester Stallone would have beat them up. I ran because I was scared. Mm. And I'll never forget going to, you know, running home. I'm embarrassed that I ran. Yeah. I'm embarrassed that I had gotten literally pissed on. And I'm just screaming. I'm telling my mom that I'm just, I hate being here. Why did we move here? Mm. They told us up front they didn't want us and we still moved here. My mom just being the warrior that she is, she tells me to take my shirt off, go downstairs, get. Ooh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, my bedroom was down in the basement. Mm. So I went downstairs, took my clothes off. Um, the shower, I'll never forget this. The shower is running and I'm literally in the mirror and I don't cry. I'm just not a cry. Yeah. Unless I'm watching Forrest Gump. I'm just not, and it's oh, not a. Yeah. Yeah. Sally Field, she'll get you every time. Okay. Yeah. Just get you. Sally Bubba. Um, it's not a it's not a machismo thing. It's just more of I'm just not a big crier. But yeah. I remember looking in the mirror. I'm literally brushing my teeth to the point where I'm scared that my teeth are going to bleed. 
I'm trying to Listerine and then I'm brushing my teeth again. I'm embarrassed. I got tears coming down my eyes. I am in the shower and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know who the hell to talk to about this. Yeah. Went upstairs. My mom and I had a very good conversation. And if you ever met my mom, she she's about as stoic as you possibly can get. But part of the reason why she's stoic is because what I was going through in that moment is what she lived through her entire life. So her whole thing was, I need to level set with my son. I need to acknowledge his hurt. I need to acknowledge his fear. But I also got to make sure that I don't set my son off to the point where he does something foolish and he goes to jail and ends up as another statistic. So it's Mm. it's the balancing act of a Black parent. I'm saying all that because that's what I take readers through in the book is the only way I truly believe if I stood around and said all day long, we should get along, we should get along. It's why diversity programs sometimes don't work because we're speaking to the theory of diversity, but we're not speaking to the actuality of human connectivity. Yeah. And when you start speaking to the the aspect, to the nature of human connectivity, which is, I have a story, you have a story, but we're not going to understand each other until our stories meet. They don't have to match. They just have to meet. When they meet, now we can start to have a real dialogue. Oh, my gosh. Well, let me just say something. That story met me at a very, I I am a crier. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) okay, Jason. First of all, I just want to say truly thank you because to have to read, well, I know you wrote that in the book and then to have to retell that story. And I know, you know, you're talking on podcasts, you're doing interviews, you're retelling that yes. over and over. Yes. And that takes a level of just pure, just selflessness to do that. So thank you because... That was hard for me to hear. I'm a white woman. We could, you know that. And I, I, my, my heart goes out to you. It just hurts. I hate that. I hate that. That's the life that you had to live. Thank and you. I hate, and I, and I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm sorry. I haven't gotten this emotional on this show ever before, but I'm so glad that you're able to take that pain and that hurt and use it to help people and organizations and take what we're dealing with in today's in in 2022 we're so far behind with these conversations so far behind but i'm so grateful that you're able to use that and and use it as fuel instead of storing it in a place where you know and i think i'm a mom to a little boy and yes he is white but i i i just empathize with your mom having to have that fear and and to collect herself so stoically, like you said, that's just such a heroic part on her part to to take that and actually turn that into who you are today. Because she, in those moments, she thought about your future and the and the and the brain that you're going to continue to evolve. And thanks to your mom, because look at you now. I mean, look at. Look at you now, like you're just <laughs> doing good for the world. Thank and you. you took some really hard things in your life. Like that story of the bottle will never leave my me- my memory. I, you And you paint a very vivid picture of it. I can see you brushing your teeth. I can just, I pictured all of it. And I know that you're telling it because you have to get us to this place 
in order for change to happen. And I think a lot of teams and, and you know, improvement serves companies and teams and, and leaders who deeply care about their people. And I truly believe that these conversations were happening before 2020, but not like this. Yes. And I'm so grateful that they are. And I know too, a lot of leaders shy away from it, right? They, yes. and I, the one thing we talk about, especially in improv, because improv is something that takes people out of their comfort zones, but we do it through this laughter, levity, positivity lens. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, we have to create a safe space. Yes. And in order to have these conversations, you have to have a safe space, right? For the team to feel safe for everyone, every different race on that team to feel like they can actually have a conversation with people who are on the out group, right? They're not in the end group. They're many different people. Improve it, fam. Are you feeling stagnant at work? Are you frustrated by the lack of connection and the shortage of creativity when it comes to working in this hybrid world? If this sounds like you, then join us for a live preview of our interactive improv-based programs, including a sample of our laugh break, a sneak peek into our pre-work launched earlier this year, and spoiler alert, it's pretty funny, and a brief breakdown of our effective communication workshop. Now, we'll show you in one hour the full Improve It experience so you can communicate, inspire, and motivate your team moving forward. Join us on Tuesday. Day, March 29th from 12.30 to 1.30 p.m. Eastern for our live showcase. The link to sign up is in the show notes. Come try out the Improve It experience and see how our work can improve your team's hybrid world. If a listener, a leader listening today needs to create a safe space, they don't have it yet. What is one way that they could get this safe space or create this safe space for their team to discuss bias, racism, to discuss these things? How do you, how can you create it if it's not there? Yeah. um, Wonderful question. And it's, it's sort of, it's a wonderful question with a loaded answer, right? Because we live in this day and age of the cancel culture. Totally. People are so scared to say the wrong thing that they choose not to say anything, right? That's it. But there's a historical basis to this. It's what I have found is that historically, when I say historically, I'm saying like right around the time when white people stopped lynching black people and then having a picnic as they were sitting underneath the lynched body of a black person, right? So we're talking maybe, let's say, late 60s, early 70s. There was this idea that if we were going to be a anti-racist society, we just don't talk about racism. Right. What happened as a result of that is you have white people. And again, I'm not saying this to offend. I'm saying this based on my experiences. And I'm going to say this really based on my experiences within the corporate arena. Yeah. You have white leaders who have all the education in the world. They have all the technical skills in the world. They have, they've done performance coaching. They have all of these things and they're advanced from that perspective. But when it comes to conversations of race, they are so remedial because they're not having these conversations at work. 
because you don't talk about race at work. They're not having these conversations at home because for many people, they don't live around anybody who doesn't look like them. Right. Their right. neighbors are white. The people they go to church with are white. And so now all of a sudden you have these organizations, especially after the George Floyd moment, you have all these organizations pushing diversity. The problem is if you're not getting, so one thing that the brain hates, the brain hates change fundamentally. Part of the challenge with change is if I'm going through a change that puts my brain into a threat state, because I want to know that what my work environment was like on Monday is exactly how it's going to be on Tuesday. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now you're moving away from you know, the, the numbers of work, you're moving away from the structure of work and you're saying, guess what? Diversity matters. So yeah. we push these diversity initiatives, but you're not getting buy-in from the people who are directly impacted by those diversity initiatives. And I'm not saying the, the faces of color that you're bringing in. I'm not saying, I'm not talking about diversity from whatever other metric you want to gauge it. I'm saying from the very people who are now in charge of managing diversity through their teams. If you don't get their buy-in, and buy-in often means something along the lines of, we're going to do diversity, but we want you to be a part of this. So how can we make this more palatable for you? Because if you don't make it more palatable, but theoretically, everyone should embrace diversity. We get that. But the reality is not everybody embraces diversity because that might mean maybe I'm out of a job. That might mean gosh, I'm going to say the wrong thing to Tyrone and I'm going to offend Tyrone and I don't want to be known as a racist, right? So I just choose not to say anything. If we're going to talk about diversity at work, just like if we're going to talk about diversity at home, let's be honest. And if I'm a leader and now all of a sudden I'm in charge of creating this safe space for everybody, even including those people who don't look like me or don't behave like me, some of that comes with just being vulnerable. Yeah. Just saying, I don't have all the answers. Yeah. I don't know what your experience. Like, I'll give you an example. As a consultant, I'm on the road 200 days of the year. I am proud to say that when I founded my company in 2005, uh, Greer Consulting Inc., I did it on a wink and a prayer. A wink because I had an eyelash in my eye, a prayer because I had no idea where I was going. Right. I'm just being honest with you. Right. I, just, I love it. I just, wanted yeah. to, I just wanted enough work so that I could pay the mortgage. Yeah, totally. No idea that I was going to grow my company from this little bit of nothing to now we're in the top 5% of employee labor relations consultants in the country. It's been an incredible ride. But along those lines, I can't tell you the number of times that I've walked into environments where I was the only. You know, I'm in a room full of people who don't look like me, who often are white and are male. And they're trying to figure out who exactly I am to the point where one executive actually came up to me and said, uh, you can bring in the food now. Right? I kid you not. I kid you not. And I had been doing work for his company for the better part of three months. He and I had just never met each other. Wow. And I looked at him and I was going to get offended. And I said, okay, let's play with this. Good for you. Wow, Jason. I went out because the um, caterers were in the process of unwrapping everything. And I went to the gentleman who happened to be an African-American um, owner of this catering company. And I said, brother, I just need you to roll with me on this. You don't know me, but just let me help you. Look at you improvising right now, by exactly. the way. Okay, look at this. Keep going, keep no, going. I appreciate you. So we brought in the food. I put everyone's plate out and some of the stakeholders around the table knew me. And they're like, Jason, what are you doing? I go, just roll with me. 
Just okay. roll. Set everyone's tape, you know, plate out, put their silverware. I was messing the silverware part up because I didn't know. Right. Right. And got everyone's drink. And I went up to him and said, sir, what would you like to drink? He was like, I like iced tea. Poured him his glass of iced tea. Everyone's sitting around and it's just uncomfortable. He was completely clueless as to what was happening, but the other stakeholders knew what was happening and they were completely uncomfortable. But here's another element. If you're going to be an ally, if you're going to create a safe space for people who don't look like you, be willing to speak up. Yes. Do that uncomfortable silence thing that so many people do where they come to you afterward and they say, I'm so sorry you went through this. No, you're not sorry I went through it because if you were sorry I was going through it, you would have spoken up because I needed your power. Yes. Because in the yes. moment, powerless. Wow. So after, <laughs> after, after everybody eats and I ate to the side, now it's time for me to start my presentation. Oh my gosh. Okay. What happened? I got it. What did the guy do? The executive went, White as a ghost. Oh my God. He looked to other folks like, why didn't you tell me? Wow. Right. I went, gave an hour long presentation. It was the best presentation I think I've ever given. Yeah. Cause you were big. That was like guided light right there. You were just this. It was like I was educating, but I was also showing you don't play me just because I don't look like you. Oh my God. What a lesson. And he apologized afterward. And I was, you know, I walked this fine line between telling him you can kiss my butt. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I belong in this room. Yes, you do. And I legitimately helped to save three of your departments through the work that I did as the employee whisperer. I belong in this room. Because what I didn't share with you was I had three other consultants with me who worked directly for me. He didn't ask them to bring in the food. Now, somebody can make the argument that since the owner or the executive knew that the owner of the catering company was African-American, that maybe he got us confused. But let's be real. It's the exact same thing that happened in my church. I'm 6'3", 275 pounds. I don't look like a lot of people. I am built like a linebacker. I don't look like you, a lot, of, <laughs> unless I'm not in an NFL crowd. I, right. I am, I am, I am literally like you are a spelt man. I'm looking at you right now. Yes, yes. Well, no, thank you for that. The owner of the company, the owner of the catering company, who also is African American, was five for maybe 160 pounds soaking wet. So insane! So insane! But it speaks to if if there's a teachable moment in this. It speaks to the fact that oftentimes we have a hard time differentiating people from different groups if we've never had experience with those groups. Now, it's not so easy if you want to talk to somebody about diversity or you want to talk to leaders about how to become more open with diversity. It's not as easy as saying, hey, just go out and hang out with some Black people. Go out and hang out with some Asian people. It's not that easy. It's first, let's be vulnerable about who we are and how we're showing up. Like when you talked about the fact that as I'm you know, as I'm sharing these stories through podcasts, as I was writing this book, I have to revisit these stories every time I share it, and it still hurts. I'm sure. I'm but sure. Other on the other side of that, 
I think the mistake that people of color often make as it relates to dealing with white people is we're consistently pointing our finger at white people saying, you're the ones with the problems. You're the ones with the biases. You're the ones with the prejudice. You're the reason why everything's wrong in this country or in this world. But we don't recognize that just as I'm pointing a finger at you, I have to point a finger at myself because we have biases. We have prejudice. We have feelings that are not that oftentimes defy the experiences of other people. That just because somebody asked me to show them my ID doesn't mean that they're racist. Maybe that's just company policy, especially if they apply that across the board. But if my mind is telling me you're only asking me for my ID because I'm black, but yet she asked for IDs from white people, Asian people, Hispanic people, gay people, lay people, going <laughs> down the line. So yeah. often we're, so, we're so eager to rush to the judgment of someone's being racist when the reality is that we're not aware of the stories that are coloring our experiences with other people. Wow. Let me just say this. My brain, I'm not going to say my mind. My brain is blown today. I am truly like, I feel like this was so insightful. You're a fantastic speaker. You are a fantastic storyteller. The stories that you share are so tied to the point that you're driving home. Thank you. So you have found your calling, friend. Hey, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you have. This is don't. Don't quit your day job, please. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this is uh, this is so needed and so necessary and something that I hope everybody listening today can at least walk away with one thing that they want to think about and implement. And I think this conversation around these safe spaces and conversations between just leaders and and vulnerability are so important. The vulnerability piece that you mentioned Sometimes just saying, you know what, I'm learning too. I'm figuring it out. Yes. That is, we're just human beings. All con- we're, the, the point of life is to be connected. Yes. And to feel like we are connected through this universe. I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm a spiritual human and I'm very much of this one universal love, right? I'm just, I, we are all connected. Yes. But we all have to make it a space where everybody want can feel connected and feel exactly. like they can belong. And so that vulnerability that you mentioned, just saying, I, as a leader, don't know the answer. I'm feeling this way. And also just sharing that we're all doing this processing and learning at the same time. And this, I think it sped up the learning that a lot of, of us had to do. In, 20, in 2020, the learning was steep, right? For a lot of us. and. I'm just really gracious and and gra- and grateful that you have chosen to take the path of putting these stories out there, using them as learning opportunities for others to see that these conversations matter, especially at work, especially yeah. with teams and people, because we should be surrounded by our out group, right? We're going to be surrounded by our out group. We we should. That's the that is the world. And I just so many thoughts came in my head as you're talking about that. I don't have enough time to go into it, but I, I am just really grateful for you, Jason, and the work that you have given. Now, I want you to do this. I want you to tell our audience if they want to hire the employee whisperer, where they can do that, how they can find you, all of the things. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. You can go to my website, HireGCI.com. I will say it again, HireGCI.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Labor Diversity, or you can find me on Instagram. And I'm still learning the Instagram world. So just roll with me. I think it's Jason.Career. I think it's just that. But definitely can hire me through my website. And I'm always on LinkedIn. I just want a conversation. And I love the work that we do. Because the more conversations we can have, the better we're going to be as people. That's just, it's the only way to get through this. That's it. That's it. And I'm new to the Instagram world too. I'm a feel fluencer. So you're not alone there. Um, it's hard. It's a hard world. It's a hard world. But reach out to Jason, have a conversation. I'm so grateful for this one. So thank you for the work that you're doing for conversations that are moving so many mountains. You don't even know. You don't even know how many lives you're touching. So thank you for for putting this story and these stories that you told out there and for coming on our show, Jason. You are awesome. Hey, you are so awesome, Aaron. You're you're killing it. Keep doing uh, it. This is awesome. Oh, you keep going. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. You too. Improve it, fam. I hope you're as moved as I am today by this conversation. Jason is a guiding light in this world. He is the employee whisperer. And he is telling these stories that are painful to tell to help organizations and the people within them thrive. So here's your homework. I want you to listen to today's show. And I want you, if we would go back to that conversation that Jason told us about the stakeholder or the CEO who was thinking he was a part of the catering company and no one around him spoke up, that story is still sticking in my brain. I want you to create a space within your team for people to feel safe to speak up. And if you can't take on that responsibility, I want you to be the one who speaks up, who finds an opportunity, who's vulnerable, and who puts himself out there when they see racism or bias at play. I want to thank you for this conversation, Improve It Fam. This conversation is definitely something that needs to be talked about more. It's something that I'm so grateful that Jason is doing and putting into the world. And I'm so happy to have had this opportunity to share it with you. So keep failing, keep improving, because the world needs that special it that only you can bring. I'll see you here next time. Bye. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to Improve It. I am so happy you are along for the ride. If you enjoyed this show, head on over to iTunes to leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Now, if you're really feeling today's show and you've improved it even just a little bit, please take a screenshot and tag me at Keeping It Real Deal on Instagram and share it in your stories. I'll see you next week, but I I want to leave you with this thought. What did you improve today and how will that help your future successful self? Think about it. I am rooting for you and the world needs that special it that only you can bring.
See you next time. <laughs>